Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So yesterday was not really quite the show that I thought it was going to be, and I don't mean because we had the weird streaming you know, video issue. I mean in terms of the content that we were presenting on the show. Uh, going back to Friday when Kirby Smart and some of the Georgia players met with the media to kick off the 2021 season as Georgia was beginning its practices, there were a couple of very interesting things that were said during those press conferences, and I assumed at the time, well, this is obviously what we'll be talking about on Monday, but then you have the weirdness of Scott Cochran stepping away and Will Muschamp stepping in, and that ended up kind of dominating the show yesterday, as you can certainly understand, and so what we intended to do yesterday, obviously I've had to kind of put to today, but just because this is a day later than I initially intended for it to be on the show does not mean it's any less relevant. I thought the discussion around the Georgia offense and the big steps that it's hoping to take and the guys who either step in now for Georgia or came back for one more year at Georgia who hope to make this finally the offense that it, you know, the word explosive plays gets used a lot, that creates enough of those explosive plays to make Georgia a true, legitimate national championship contender, possibly reminiscent of the last two teams to win titles, both in the SEC, that were like way up in the 40s in terms of points per game and, you know, putting a bunch of guys in the NFL and everything else that Georgia could be ready to take a step in that direction here this year. I want to begin with one, and that's running back James Cook. Cook is an example of one of those guys who came back to Georgia. And when you hear James Cook here, and listen, Cook's a little bit of a soft-spoken guy. He probably doesn't love the uh, media stuff necessarily, but you may have to lean in a little more closely to hear his words here. But the words that he uses, I think, pack kind of a, a pretty big punch. And Upon hearing this from James Cook, it's going to sound like one thing, but I actually believe it's really another. In other words, this is going to sound like the typical, you know, humility that you expect to hear from team first players who don't want to put their name, their own self on a pedestal, don't want to put their own needs ahead of the needs of their teammate. This feels a little bit like something that you've heard before. But when you listen a little bit more closely, I think what you actually get from Cook is something that's maybe a little deeper than it appears at first blush. Let me let you hear James Cook's answer to the question of, do you ever worry about there where there's so many potential playmakers deep at running back, deep at wide receiver, deep across the board? Do you ever worry about, hey, maybe I don't have a chance to get mine. Maybe I don't have a chance to produce the kinds of stats that I want to be able to produce. Do you ever get concerned about that? And I thought that James Cook gave a very interesting answer, and he certainly used a few buzz phrases that will get the attention of dog fans. This from Friday, Georgia running back James Cook. All I'm trying to do is just win, and win games this year. Just go out national championship and SEC championship. That's all I'm focused on. That comes like when you do the thing, right things. So like if I get the ball, I don't, I don't. If I do, I do. That's kind of what it is. So, as I said before, this kind of sounds like something that you've heard before. A player saying, listen, all I care about is the team success, and I'm not worried about my own individual success. And I don't want to gloss over that. I don't want to make light of that because, as we've said before, culture and chemistry are a big component along the way to winning a, uh, a championship that if you're going to have that kind of championship season you do have to have players such as cook who buy into the team concept who buy into the notion that i am contributing to something that's bigger than i am georgia football existed before any of these players got here it will pres- it will exist way after all these players are gone georgia football as an entity the team itself is bigger than the individual players and players who recognize and understand that is a really important part of any team being as good as it possibly can be and as I said before what Cook says there sounds like the kind of thing you've heard before but there's a little tag there at the end though that sticks out to me when James Cook says something effect of you know listen if if I do the right things then all that stuff's going to take care of itself And I think all that stuff, the stuff that takes care of itself, is not just the winning of the SEC and the winning of the national championship, but one of the things we've remarked on before is is that football is actually kind of a cool sport in that it seems like individual goals and team goals are actually fairly closely aligned. That, you know, it's possible in the NBA to be a 50-point score and your team, you know, lose by 25 points. That sometimes it seems like the individual success and the team success aren't always that closely aligned. But in college football, for whatever reason, that seems to be the case. When guys work on having the kinds of seasons that puts them on the radar of being in the first round of the NFL draft if you have enough of those guys who are doing that 
boy, it's kind of hard. It seems like it verges on an impossibility that 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 somehow your team wouldn't have great success there as well. In fact, go back and look at recent national champions. As we've said many times before, a lot of those national champions just have a a lot of guys who also use their final seasons in college or their final seasons in college to be a springboard to NFL success, that there is kind of a correlation, I guess, between individual success and team success, and that's kind of a cool thing. And what James Cook says there actually reminds me of something that Kirby Smart went into more detail about himself going back to meeting with the media on Friday. So Cook says, listen, I just want to do the right stuff. I just want to do my job. If I do, my stats will take care of themselves. We can win the SEC. We can win the national championship. And then when you look at the last two SEC teams that have done just that, reigning national and SEC champion Alabama from 2020, LSU from the year before that in 2019 you do see a lot of offensive guys guys with the kind of raw talent that James Cook possesses who just showed up they did their job they had explosive stats they got the attention of NFL scouts and along the way the teams they played for you know LSU and Alabama both scoring you know almost 50 points a game in the in the last two years in which they won the national championship and so it begs the question with Georgia now with guys like James Cook trying to travel that same path and as Cook said not unreasonable to think of Georgia as a national championship contender for the upcoming season does Georgia finally have the offense in place has this evolution that has seemed to be taking place this metamorphosis that seemed to be occurring is it finally completed and can Georgia actually go out this season and replicate the kind of offense that Alabama and LSU had over the course of the last couple of years. Kirby Smart has been asked this question many times before. You know, are you closing the gap with a team in a program like Alabama? I don't know that he's ever given a more interesting question to that than he gave on Friday. Going into great detail about where Georgia is kind of stepping up and where maybe Georgia still has some work to do. This is really pretty good from Kirby Smart. It continues the conversation that James Cook started. Take a listen to this. I don't know if I'm saying this right, but I think Alabama have four first-rounders. Okay, you know, I know they had them in separate years. I don't, I don't know that we have four first rounders uh, at wide out. If that's what you're asking, I know LSU had two uh, first round receivers on the deep, on the team we played. They had a first round back and the first overall quarterback. So I don't, I don't know how ours compare to that because you can only know that after the fact. Uh, you can't compare it to before the fact. But I do know that having skilled players that can light up the scoreboard and score points is certainly critical. Um, I think that we've been able to close the gap in terms of if the standard was uh, uh, Alabama or LSU in terms of those offenses, we've probably closed that gap. But I don't know that we have four first-rounders. I just find all of what Smart says there to be really fascinating. First of all, I take it as a hopeful sign. I'm a Georgia fan. I want Georgia to win games. I take it as a hopeful sign that Smart says, yeah, I I do think we're closing the gap on what Alabama has been, what LSU has been. I, I think we're getting closer to being that as a team. I like that. I also like the just flat you know, unmistakable start terms acknowledgement from Smart that, yeah, you're going to have great skill players doing explosive things if you want to, you know, be a good football team. Smart says that very clearly right there. I take that to be really interesting too. And it is at least honest if Smart says, boy, when you look at the overwhelming success that Alabama has enjoyed over the course of the last, you know, cumulative few seasons and what LSU enjoyed in 2019, I'm not quite so sure we're to that mark yet, even if we are on our way to closing the gap. I find that to be really interesting. But it also leads me to want to say this, that when you look at what Alabama has been as a program multiple years, and Smart was correct to point that out, what LSU was for one big year in 2019, it's important to note that for all of the first-round success that those programs enjoyed, it's not like it was obvious the players who became those first-round picks, it's not like it was obvious when those players entered college that's what they were going to be. Let me give you a couple of stats that back this up for a minute. Smart mentions the four Alabama receivers who become first-round picks in recent seasons. Those are Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith. Technically speaking, the only one of those players who was a composite five-star recruit coming out of high school was Jerry Judy. He was a five-star recruit, number 21 prospect in the country. Henry Ruggs was highly rated, but just a four-star prospect number 75 overall player Jalen Waddle also highly rated but not a five-star he was the number 39 recruit in the country and a four-star that's certainly a very impressive recruiting resume but it's not five-star status same thing for Devontae Smith who won the Heisman Trophy last year was just the number 62 player in the country coming out of high school 
and a four-star recruit there as well. So of the four first-round picks that Alabama's recently had, only one of those guys was a composite five-star coming out of high school. Smart also mentions the four LSU players, the quarterback Joe Burrow, the running back Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and the two uh, uh, wide receivers, uh, Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. Once again, it's not obvious that any of these players would have been first-round picks when they were coming out of high school going into college. Joe Burrow was just a four-star recruit, number 280 player in the country. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the running back, was just a three-star recruit, number 378 prospect in the country when he signed with LSU. Jamar Chase, who won the Blitnikoff Award and was probably you know, what, what Devontae Smith was in 2020. In a lot of ways, Jamar Chase was that in 2019 there as well. But he was also just a four-star recruit, number 84 prospect in the country. And Justin Jefferson, who became a first-round pick off that LSU team in 2019, get this. He, not only was he not a five-star recruit, he wasn't even a four-star recruit. He was a three-star recruit. He was the number, and 24-7 sports had this, 2,164th player in the country. He was just the number 308 wide receiver in the country, and yet he obviously put up big numbers for the LSU program uh, in 2019. Now, where am I going with this? What's the point that I'm, that I'm making here? is that Smart is right that what Alabama has done in 2020, what LSU has done in 2019, sets an incredibly high standard for what offense can be. But it's not like they brought in obvious first-rounders and those players transformed those offenses. What I would suggest, what Steve Sarkeesian did for Alabama in 2020, what Joe Brady, the passing game coordinator, did for LSU in 2019 was to transform the players themselves talent raw talent uh certainly on the top shelf but not elite five stars necessarily but the coaches and the systems they played in transformed those players and made them into first round picks so when james cook says hey if i do what i need to do the georgia offense is going to be what it needs to be I, I think for the most part he's right about that but there's also an addendum to that that the georgia offense needs to do what it needs to do to make guys like cook as good as they can possibly be this system led by todd munkin needs to cultivate stars the way that Steve Sarkeesian and LSU Joe Brady did in uh, 2019 and 2020. That's the next step for the Georgia offense. And it's probably fine for Kirby Smart to say, hey, maybe we don't have four first-round picks at wide receiver. That is obviously uh, a very high status to achieve. But you probably need a couple or at least a couple among your offensive skill position guys. You know, Can you find a couple of wide receivers or a wide receiver and a running back that can play the first-round level or wide receiver running back plus your quarterback? You know, Somehow, some way, you need a small handful of those guys offensively if Georgia is going to even in the ballpark resemble what LSU and Alabama did last year. So very fascinating stuff from Smart going back to Friday and players like James Cook there as well. They know they have the capability of taking that next step offensively. And some of the responsibility is on the players to do just that but the biggest responsibility of all i believe is on todd munkin the system that he employs to exploit the talents that it's in place and if you can do that then maybe really georgia will take another step towards supposedly closing that gap against a team like alabama or a team like lsu from the year before that my name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And great to have you with us, no matter how. You get to us today live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, right there on the page of dognation.com there as well. A lot of you enjoying that and able to start fresh and on time today. And thus far, everything is just humming right along here. So we'll keep a good thought and hope that continues. Uh, for those of you on the radio yesterday, sorry we missed you, but happy to be uh, back with you. Again today, right there at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref and as a podcast, wherever you find them, Apple, Spotify, worldfamousdognation.com, just a lot of different places for you to get the podcast. Some of you listen right there on SoundCloud. We appreciate you doing that as well. Big thanks all the way around for that. And, of course, our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia making it all possible today. Foundation, waterproofing issues. Those are the problems they look to solve for you because, after all, they are a solutions based company we've had a lot of rain this summer which means you're thinking about the ways in which water might be creeping into your house you see it in your garage you see it in your crawl space goodness knows a lot of folks deal with that in their basement from time to time and if your if your home is is susceptible to that then obviously it's very important to have engineered solutions of georgia out to take a look at things and talk about how you can fix it even more important maybe is also what may be going on your foundation because after all you're talking about the structural integrity of your home you want smart people like esog doing this work for you they have two full-time engineers on staff that's a really cool thing also they're very easy to get in touch with give them a call 678 esog now that's 678 esog 
<laughs> Let me try that one more time. 678-ESOG now. That's 678-ESOG now. They are proud partners of UGA, longtime friends of ours here on Dog Nation Daily. They'll take really good care of you. Make sure you check them out today if you have any foundation or waterproofing issues that you need to have seen about. All right, coming up, speaking of seeing about some things, we're going to see about some things going on at Georgia practice as the dogs are hot and heavy and getting it going here for the start of the 2021 season, which is on its way sooner rather than later. We'll do a Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley coming up on all of that in a moment. We'll look back at the shakeup in the Georgia coaching staff with, at least for now, Scott Cochran stepping away, Will Muschamp stepping in, injury news, and just some of the other chatter that's out there around Georgia right now. We'll do a lot of that with Connor Riley coming up in a moment. Before that, though, let's go around the doghouse here today, presented by our friends at Georgia's own credit union and i want to make some room for some recruiting talk here just for a moment because there's a very impressive what you call fast riser in the recruiting world right now his name is carlton madden he's a linebacker and he goes to cedar grove cedar grove really one of the I mean, you talk about a program that's become incredibly talent-rich in recent seasons there in the Atlanta area. That is what that Saints program has been able to do. Madden is another name that you'll add to that list. Uh, a lot of folks who saw Cedar Grove against Buford in the scrimmage on Friday came away pretty impressed with what he was you know, bringing to the table. And now you get the sense that Madden, who at one point in time, go back to early July, kind of hinted to Jeff Sintel that his decision might go all the way at least into September before he made his announcement, but maybe a little bit of an acceleration on that from Madden yesterday, putting out there on Twitter that he's now getting ready to make that choice. He says, I think it's time. Now, listen, sometimes when recruits say, I think it's time, it can mean any number of things. But in this particular case, maybe Madden says that, hey, it's about time for Madden to make that college choice. There is a lot of reason to believe that whenever Madden makes his decision that George is very much a huge factor in his recruitment Madden is one of those guys that's really been pretty open about talking about his feelings about George let me go back to early July for a moment when Madden sat down with our dog nation recruiting insider Jeff Sintel and you know talking about a recent uh, series of visits that he'd taken to UGA and the connection that he felt like he was forming with the dogs while he was taking those visits Madden does not really hold back in offering praise for UGA but also offering the feeling that UGA gave to him too this is good stuff with CJ Madden with our buddy Jeff Sintel take a listen So he says, I've been to Georgia three times within the last month. He says this in early July. There's also some uh, indication out there that Madden's also been back to Georgia recently there as well. Coming up in a moment, I'll show you another photo that we showed you the other day of Madden being at UGA. I'll also remind you that you know, this is a guy that you you know may think of as kind of an edge rusher, outside linebacker type. He has talked about the possibility that he might play some inside linebacker too. So he's a versatile player that could be used all around the uh, Georgia linebacking room here, inside, outside, both. And I promised you a chance to see him uh, taking another visit after the three that he described early in the summer. Madden was also back on campus again with UGA uh, recently there as well. I believe this was the scavenger. Honestly. A lot of this stuff just kind of runs together after a while. I, I can't keep the uh, memories up, but uh, certainly a good-looking young man and uh, all smiles from Kirby Smart with his arm around him there. So Carlton Madden says he's getting about, about that time. We're going to assume that he may mean making a college decision, and obviously there's competition for Madden services, but plenty of reason to feel like Georgia's in a pretty good spot with all this there as well. So pretty interesting stuff from Carlton Madden. Very impressive, versatile linebacker from a unbelievably talent-rich program in Cedar Grove and more news to come on that in the very near future that is around the doghouse it's a uh, presented today by our friends at georgia's own credit union and something else that georgia's own uh, credit union can present for you really cool stuff when it comes to these uh, georgia's own visa signature and platinum cards this is incredible incredible opportunity for you to take advantage of a card that comes with all kinds of features and benefits i'm talking about contactless payments which means making the payments certainly very uh, convenient also you can get flex rewards which can be used for gift cards travel cash back merchandise pretty much really anything and as a bonus you can earn up to 150 dollars when you open a new platinum or signature card so please make sure you check out this website it's georgesown.org that's georgesown.org and you can check that out today it's great to have georgia's own credit union with us for around the doghouse here today all right there is a lot of news to get to around the sec 
including some interesting injury stuff. Again, practice is starting. You're going to have some of that and how teams are responding to that. And a little bit of big talk coming out of Florida there, too. So we will cover all of that on the way. But for now, let's keep our focus on Athens, what's happening at UGA. Let's do a Kroger fresh take with our buddy Connor Riley. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. All right, Kroger, fresh take time with Connor Riley. And the news coming out of Georgia has been coming pretty furiously over the course of the last couple of days. Not all of it good, but maybe not all of it debilitating really either. Connor, I want to start with where we spent a good bit of the show yesterday. Shake up on the Georgia coaching staff. Scott Cochran is away for now, dealing with what Smart has called some mental health issues. In his place is Will Muschamp, obviously a very well-known analyst, now taking on-field coaching role. I mean, I'm going to reiterate what I've reiterated before, that a story like this runs on parallel tracks. On the one hand, for Cochran, you always wish him well. And genuinely speaking, I know people who love Scott Cochran. I mean, that uh, in the, at the personal level, uh, they know him well. They attest to uh, what he's meant in their lives. So on behalf of all those people who can say they've had a deep and close relationship with Cochran, we're certainly rooting for him to be back sooner rather than later and hope that's the news that we get. This is also, Connor, as you know, a football show. We talk about a football team, and you can't help but deal with stuff like this related to the football part of this. And I don't think it's propaganda to say that actually Georgia is probably set up to you know weather this pretty good right now to have a must champ waiting in the wings and to now unlock his potential both to be on the practice field and to be in how in, in home with recruiting bad situation for cochran but it is a very clear path for how georgia can make the best of a bad situation with one of your assistant coaches stepping away this close to the start of the season yeah we hope and wish for nothing but the best for scott cochran we hope that he gets healthy and finds the, the clarity that he needs i think personally some of the speculating about why he is stepping away I found personally kind of gross but you hope he he's able to take the time away and sort of recenter himself and, and get to where he needs to be with his mental health and his physical health as well there and you know as far as Muschamp this is why you prepare to bring in a guy like him even as an analyst there's a value there you think back to when uh, Nick Saban did it with Steve Sarkeesian first brought him in as an analyst Lane Kiffin ultimately ends up leaving Steve Sarkeesian steps in and calls plays in a national championship game a game Alabama didn't win but you know there's the value in being prepared for something like this and, and having a guy like Muschamp who admittedly is probably overqualified for the job that he is stepping into is going to be I think a tremendous benefit to it he's going to be able to uh, for as long as Cochran is away go into recruits households and he's an excellent recruiter and someone who's already I think sort of put in a lot of work behind the scenes and now he's going to get a front-facing sort of role with this Georgia program, something I think a lot of people maybe one day expected, but I don't think they expected it to be this quickly into his time at Georgia. At the risk of doing a aggressive oversimplification here, I don't think it takes Amos Alonzo Stagg to design a great special teams. Georgia's special teams are typically pretty good. They were certainly very good last year. I think Cochran gets some credit for that. But I think a lot of that credit also goes to very hungry freshmen who can't crack mm-hmm. the two deep on offense or defense, who are mad about that and are looking to go out there and you know make some you know some tackles and chase down some kick returners because they want to show they should be playing more on offense or defense. I think generally speaking, the good special teams at the very highest level of college football mostly happen because they have good players. Therefore, I really am more interested in some of the other ways that Muschamp can influence the rest of this Georgia mm-hmm. program because there's just more freedom and liberty given to a on-field coach. There are restrictions about what an analyst can do. And so, you know, I, as I said before, I want to oversimplify what it takes to come up with a special teams game plan. But for the most part, it's get 11 good players and go out there and chase down kick returners. Yeah. But what else can Muschamp now do for this program? Right. If you're just going to use Will Muschamp and pigeonhole him into working with kickers and punters and, and working on kickoff coverage, it's a waste of his abilities, I think. So he's someone who has a tremendous background in working with defensive backs. Georgia has a ton of turnover there. He knows Darian Kendrick. He's recruited him as a prospect. So you think he can help out there in addition to working with Kirby Smart there. He's also coached linebackers. Georgia needs to develop some depth there at that linebacker spot because there's going to be a lot of turnover after this season. I think that's an area that he can help out with. So while, yes, he's probably going to be special teams quarter in title He's a guy who, because of his background, and yes, he wasn't a great head coach at Florida and South Carolina, but he still 
you know, to get to where he got to, you don't get there by accident in yeah. this business. So for him to get there and do what he's done and have the respect of so many higher-ups higher in the sport of college football, I think says something about him and what he could potentially bring to this Georgia team. I have no idea how healthy or not Warren Erickson is. I honestly can't make much sense of, you know, what happened. You know, maybe it's not a very serious injury. Maybe he's, you know, back playing again by the, you know, first game against Clemson or a couple of weeks from now. I, the truth is I just really don't know, and I'm not going to even pretend to be kind of a medical expert who's able to – to speculate about stuff like this but what i have found interesting about the erickson chatter among fans over the course of the last couple of days is i think there seems to be a little bit of a misunderstanding about a how important the center position is and b how entrenched erickson seemingly was as the starting center this is one of the things i'm gonna be on my soapbox for a second people that talk about like inside information who's got inside information sometimes you don't need inside information sometimes you just need to pay attention to what's being publicly said and if you want to go back to you know the the spring and things like that it was fairly well publicly established that a guy like erickson was was very clearly one of the starters there on that team and that's not to disparage anybody who could potentially play center that's not in that spot right now but the idea that that there was someone else and i think that cedric von prana is an incredible prospect and maybe austin mm. blasky one day is, is is a big time player there as well but svp in particular is a recruit that i certainly love and i expect him to be doing big things at georgia but if everybody's healthy, there is zero question, I believe, on the basis of how Georgia has treated him, that Erickson's the best center on this roster. NBA likes to paint around the corners, you know, delicately wade into waters. I'm much more. I'm just going to plow through. There are people out there, specifically on social media, that were very loudly campaigning for Cedric Von Paran to play over Warren Erickson in the spring and probably even now simply because he was a higher-ranked recruit coming out of the recruiting process. Warren Erickson, might I, might I add, is st- was still a four-star prospect, yeah. still well-respected, out of a great North Gwinnett High School program there up in Swanee. So, you know, if this injury doesn't happen, Warren Erickson is without a doubt starting against Clemson. If he is ready to go and healthy to play the week of Clemson, I still kind of expect him to start there yeah. against Clemson. Now, this I this development, I do think it helps the probable long-term development of Cedric Von Prahn to get those first-team reps in practice to help a guy like Austin Blasky as well. But the collateral damage, to sort of speak with this, when you're a center, you're not just – it's not just, hey, I'm blocking this guy. You're making calls. You're calling out protections. Yeah. You're also helping out more often than not with guards in terms of who you're blocking. And a lot of people really like Tate Ratledge and what he might – ultimately become from this and not having a guy like Warren Erickson next to him a guy who played a lot of snaps last season started a couple of games for Georgia not having that as a resource and having a, a you know if you go into that game with Cedric Von Prahn who sure is a higher recruit but has far less experience do you want Cedric Von Prahn and Tate Ratledge in their first real in their first right. actual starts blocking guys like Tyler Davis and Brian Brzee as opposed to someone like Warren Erickson who's been through some stuff and knows and, and probably isn't as likely to get rattled in that first game there. The speed difference at college football, just at every level, is so much faster. And so we expect Cedric Von Prahn and possibly Tate Ratledge as well to be able to handle that in that first game against Clemson. That's a lot to ask for, even if those guys too are two highly recruited players. So I, you know, the sooner Erickson gets back, I do think that's probably better for the Georgia football team going into that first game against Clemson. Let me make two very quick points on this. I'm not saying that <laughs> I know that Erickson's more ready to play than Cedric Von Prahn. I'm saying the coaches would know, and it's obvious they think that by the way they've handled Erickson. And you say there was a bias among fans about the fact that, you know, uh, SVP was like a top 50 recruit. That's a pretty mm-hmm. highly rated interior offensive lineman. Yeah, number one center in his class. You don't get a lot of offensive linemen that cracking that, you know, the interior offensive lineman much higher than that. You know, typically speaking, uh, I think there's also a bias in the fact that. Georgia fans, and this is probably true for all college football fans there as well, there's this weird assumption that the person I haven't seen play is better than the oh, person yeah. I have seen backup play. Backup quarterback. Theory. Yeah, it's, it's the backup quarterback you know, syndrome of this running back who hasn't played as much as this running back must be the better running back. This offensive lineman that hasn't played as much as this offensive lineman must be the better offensive lineman. When, like, logically speaking, if that were true, he'd already be starting over right. that guy. And, and, and so that's, I think, also the thing that kind of creeps into this is that Folks just have a tendency to assume the guy they haven't seen is the better than the guy they have seen. Right, and I'd point out with Warren Erickson, while the Cincinnati game wasn't great, I don't think he was the issue in that game specifically on the offensive line. And if you look at the first start he made against Missouri, yeah. he had over 600 yards of offense in that game there that day. So I, Warren Erickson, I think, is shown to be a good player. He's played a lot of snaps before. He was the sixth offensive lineman a year ago, rotating in quite frequently. So you know, if he's questionable to out in that first game against Clemson, 
that's going to be a major swing to me, a former center and someone who understands the sort of difficulties that come with playing that position. Point of order, and my memory often fails me, but while the Missouri game was Erickson's first started center, did he not also start against Baylor at guard, and did he not earn pretty good reviews that for doing so? That is correct as well. Um, yeah. I, I think- and I would point out, you know, potentially one other wrinkle that comes with this. It has been reported that the injury is on his snapping hand, yeah. and it's incredible. If you have any sort of hand injury, it's very difficult to snap a football, obviously. But what you could possibly do is you can probably possibly now see, say, Cedric Von Prahn at that center position if he's not healthy enough to snap, but move him over to right guard where he is healthy enough to play and sort of do the things that need to be done there and thus sort of help the experience out there. So you could possibly now see an offensive line that goes Jamari Sawyer, Justin Schaefer at left guard, Cedric Von Prahn at center, Warren Erickson at right guard, a spot you just point out he had started before, and then Warren McClendon at right tackle. You played center in high school, right? Correct. Don't most college teams now – I'm way over my skis by even talking about this, but don't most college teams now kind of do that knuckleball snap thing? Is it a little easier to snap the ball than it's it used more, to be? It is a lot more common than it used to be. That is how I had to learn to snap because mm-hmm. I was just not a natural center until I moved to that yeah. position. It is much easier to snap. It's sort of you go backwards with your hands opposed to sort of spinning it sideways. Yeah, so I just read that on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, one more th- uh, thing here uh, quickly for a moment. So – ESPN, you wrote about this dognation.com. I find this to be kind of interesting. Has ranked Georgia, what, like biggest underachiever yep. in college football or whatever else. I've got a thought on this, but I'm curious what yours is. So just generally speaking, you wrote the story about it at dognation.com. ESPN slanders Georgia with the underachiever tag. What do you think of it? I mean, as far as – like they're not wrong in the sense that, you know, Georgia hasn't won a national title, and until they go out and do that, that, that sort of hangs over the program. But you know, this is a team that, you know – in the last decade, if you count that SEC championship game in 2012, they've played for a national title twice. They have, you know, gone toe to toe with Alabama in a way only Clemson can really say at this point in time over the past five years since Kirby Smart has taken over. And yes, they haven't won that game, and they ultimately do have to beat Alabama. And I think once you do that, the national championship should not be that much farther away. So I I understand that they're right, but at the same point in time, you look at other programs. Tennessee would kill to be in Georgia's shoes over the last 15 years. Texas A&M would kill to be in Georgia's shoes. Michigan, Miami. Well, sure, in the larger sense of they haven't won a national title, if you look at the overall health of this Georgia program, I think more teams than not would choose to be where Georgia is, even if they do have to deal with the 1980 jokes more often than not. I I read your story about this, and I guess it's Adam Rittenberg who was the Mm -hmm. writer. One of the things that he wrote that I do acknowledge is true is that he said, and I'm going to have to paraphrase here because I don't have the quote in front of me, but basically like there's no other comp for Georgia. Like, right. that, that Georgia's kind of in a category by itself. And for better or for worse, that really is true, that there, there really isn't a team that has consistently recruited as well as Georgia has. Now, under Kirby Smart, it's been elite recruiting. That's one of the reasons why I believe that Georgia's about to get over the hump with all of this. But but even prior to Kirby Smart's like elite best of the best like recruiting, Georgia was still a very good rep- recruiting program for quite some time before Kirby Smart got here. And so in that category of teams who could even conceivably win a national championship, the fact that Georgia hasn't is um, it, it does put Georgia in category by itself. Now, you could say programs like Texas A&M, but the truth is Texas A&M hasn't as frequently recruited at an elite level as Georgia has. They're getting better now, but for a while they were kind of taking a little bit of a dip there in that regard. That Georgia's just sort of by itself in that category, and I, and I can't deny that part of it. Yeah, I, I, again, Georgia's come incredibly close, closer than a lot of other teams have. Unfortunately, they just haven't had that breakthrough yet. As you know, it, it seems at this point in time, Georgia's biggest crime is that they just happen to play Alabama before everyone else, and they lose to them. You know, Oklahoma has not gotten over that similar hump. Uh, so you know, until until they get over that Alabama hump, and then ultimately thus win a national championship. Until that happens. It's just something that's sort of going to stick around with Georgia. But as far as its health in terms of the overall view of college football, especially I think in recent seasons, while yes, they don't have the national title, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing with the exception of losing to Alabama. Yeah, I mean, and look. Who I'd point out still recruits better than them. I, I don't want to downplay winning a national championship because obviously that's what we spend you know a good portion of this show talking about. When is Georgia going to do that? Georgia fans want to. But and this is a little bit of a of, of a tired argument, but I'm going to re-rack it just for this particular time. You can't tell me the experience of being a Georgia fan over the course of the last 11 years, or even the last 20 years. You can't tell me the experience of being a Georgia fan over the last 20 years has been worse than the experience of being an Auburn fan. Auburn played for a title in 2013. They won the title in 2010. But 
Auburn fans over the course of the last 15 years, if you just want to kind of, you know, you know, put that parameter around it, they haven't had more enjoyable seasons. They haven't been happier than Georgia has. That 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 really it's the goal of being a winner. We'll talk about Bobby Bowden before I say goodbye to you of doing what Bowden did, putting your team in the conversation year after year after year, which actually ultimately for fans is more enjoyable. Now, eventually you want to get over the hump and eventually you want to kind of erase that, you know, 40 whatever year have not have it won since 1980. But there's a way to win a national championship and not really enjoy it very much. I mean, we'll find out what LSU looks yeah. like post their national champion uh, chip here this year, because 2020 certainly wasn't much of a follow up to that, 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 it's not like winning a national championship just brings this flood of happiness for a couple of programs. It kind of doesn't. Right, no, because again, the second Georgia wins that first championship, I can tell you right now, the page is going to turn directly yeah. to the next day and how, how do we get better? How do we repeat? How do we get that second championship? I, I, you know, while I, I think LSU has shown that, yeah, you're just not going to be able to enjoy a national championship in the way that you would used to be. Uh, and you know, we, we talk about Bobby Bowden, and we're going to a little bit more here, but 14 straight seasons ranked in the top five. Yeah. I mean, just an incredible achievement. They won two national titles right. in that time. That just shows you the way – sometimes that's how the ball bounces. You know, the breaks don't go your way. You know, if they make two kicks against Miami in 91 and 92, right. it's a drastically different. You know, they've probably got four, and they possibly even three-peat there. So, I just think it goes – you know, those Florida State teams that Bowden had, and when he had things rolling there – you know, sometimes you need a lot of luck and a lot of bounces to go your way for those titles to come to your city. Hey, uh, a lot of folks around this city of Atlanta, state of Georgia, gone back to school, and that means Kroger's getting you stocked up for everything you need, both for the snacks and the lunches, the stuff that you put in those lunchboxes each and every day. Obviously, Kroger's well known for that. But I can tell you the folks in my community have been really bragging on Kroger for the way it's had all those school supplies there as well, the crayons and the pencils and the glue and the whatever else, that Kroger's been well stocked on all of that. Uh, very easy to find everything that you've needed for back to school right there at Kroger. And it continues. Those last-minute items, teacher reaches out to say, hey, Hey, is it possible that we can get some, you know, whatever for the uh, classroom? Kroger still got you going on that kind of stuff there as well. A plus deals at Kroger. If you'll visit this website, Kroger.com slash school, that's Kroger.com slash school. You can find a lot more out about that here as part of a Kroger Fresh Take on Dog Nation Daily today. It was, I was very happy, Connor, to see uh, Bruce Feldman, who writes this column each and every year, identify Georgia defensive lineman Devontae Wyatt on his list of what he calls freaks. This is something that Feldman's done for a while. And there's a lot of Georgia guys you could potentially mention here. I'm just glad Wyatt got singled out because he is a freak, right? He's a running back in high school, or at least played some running back in high school. Very athletic dude. I give a lot of attention to Jordan Davis, but Devontae Wyatt should also get some attention there as well. His decision to come back really helps this Georgia defensive line. And even though this is kind of an unofficial accolade, I'm still kind of happy to see Devontae Wyatt getting talked up here a little bit by a guy like Bruce Feldman before the season began. Yeah, so uh, this article I first saw it on my timeline yesterday morning in John Tweet Sports, a, a great follower on UGA Twitter says this is probably there's a Georgia player in here but it's probably not the defensive lineman you think it is and so me being me I'm like oh well everyone will think it's Jordan Davis and really it's about Jalen Carter a former high school yeah. weightlifting champion who also throws down windmill dunks during games yeah one and, of the best amateur dunkers you're ever gonna yeah. find a very good high school basketball player for sure and you know if you don't think it's Jalen Carter it might be Trayvon Walker who yeah. plays kickoff coverage and is 6'5 280 pounds is an absolute true freak in every sense of the words right, and then right. you open it up and you read it and it's oh Devontae White you know a guy I think a lot of people maybe regard as Georgia's fourth best defensive lineman but he is much better than that and would start on a number of teams yeah uh you sort of saw him play really well in that spring game two sacks that day I think him coming back this season there was very much a reason for that and he's got a chance to really raise his stock this season and he's got all the athletic measurables and you know we talked about Warren Erickson a little earlier yeah he didn't have the the pristine recruiting ranking that say a Walker or Carter did coming out he took a more different untraditional path to get to Georgia but he is absolutely going to be a key piece for this Georgia team and I think you know him being you know discussed as this or not necessarily a front page name I think it just goes to show you how deep and talented this Georgia defensive line really is. I'm going to be nothing but a fan just for a moment. I, I want Georgia to have a great season so badly, and I spend so much of this time of the year looking for the reasons why that might be the case. This defensive line has just got to be good, right? Yeah. I mean, you can't ever, you know, factor in injuries, things like that. Obviously, that's, you know, uh, you know, something you can't really control. Between Wyatt, who I do believe is an athletic freak, and Jordan Davis, who's obviously well documented. You mentioned Jalen Carter and Trayvon Walker and guys like that. 
this has just got to be a good defensive line. And surely that still matters, right? I mean, so when you look at all the reasons why Georgia can be very, very good, defensive line is a very high thing on that list for me. And I, I just am very impressed with what they seem to have. Easily the best defensive line Kirby Smart has had in his time so. at Georgia. You know, it's a credit to Trey Scott for, you know, this was not a, a quick turn process. I know I'm sure there are a couple of old Dog Nation Daily headlines. You go through the articles, what's going on with Georgia defensive sure. line recruiting. Sure. This has been built up into, in my opinion, the best individual unit on the team. And it's been done through both recruiting with guys like Carter and Walker, who are obvious five-star talents, and development as well with guys like Wyatt and Davis, who were not household names in the recruiting process and have gone on to become very good players over their times and careers at Georgia. No, I think that's exactly right. Uh, we did talk yesterday, but it's obviously the big story of the week, the passing of the legendary former coach Bobby Bowden, who's got you know more SEC ties than you probably realize, having grown up in Birmingham, player at Alabama, almost came back to Alabama as a coach, but obviously made Florida State into really the flagship program in all of college athletics in the 90s when I was kind of coming of age as a high school you know guy Florida State was the enviable program really and you know also a guy that cast a big shadow off the field there as well Connor what's been your thoughts to the you know the end of this uh era for uh, Bobby Bowden as he passes here this week yeah so Bobby Bowden was not perfect he, he you know and he, to his credit never tried to portray himself as one. He was someone who wanted to get the most out of his players and turn them into men. And if they won a lot of football games along the way and won a national championship or two, great. I don't think we're ever going to see another Bobby Bowden. No. Uh, uh, We're just not. The way you have to be wired to coach college football this year in these days, you're going to see a lot more Urban Myers than you're going to see Bobby Bowden. You're going to see guys who strive for perfection at all hours of the day, at all hours of the night, and they're going to burn themselves out. And then you have a guy like Bobby Bowden who was a true institution in every sense of the word and has, I believe, what, 43 years coaching football there mm-hmm. at Florida State. And as someone who cares deeply about this sport, I, I think we're worse off with that. Yeah. I, I don't think this sport is better you know, with this all-in 24-7 sort of attitude that has come. And, and you look back at, at Bowden, the tremendous success that he had but the success that he had off the field, and yes, he had scandals. Every coach, if you coach long enough, right. you're going to have scandals. But more often than not, Bobby Bowden got things right. He was doing things for the better good of both his his university and for the players that he coached up and developed. And I think I just think at the end of the day, it you know his passing, you it's so clear the impact that he had on college football. And again, thinking about this as a college football fan. I think we're worse off without guys like Bobby Bowden around. So I want to say a couple things to you really quick. First of all, as far as like the scandals, I mean, one of the things that comes up sometimes is like, say, Peter Warwick getting, you know, merchandise from the department store. Yeah. And, you know, the thing that Bowden would have been criticized at the time was maybe not thinking that was a very big deal. But in a lot of ways, Bowden was ahead of his time mm-hmm. because here we are in 2021. And for the most part, nobody thinks it's a big deal anymore for a yeah. player to get free merchandise from a department store. So Bowden got criticized for that then, but was really a little bit of ahead of his time. The other thing I want to say here, and I'll say this very quick, is that I think one of the things that, that hurts college football is the cynical way in which college football is covered by some of the people with the biggest platforms and the biggest voices. Because take a guy like Dabo Sweeney for a moment. I realize we don't like Dabo right mm-hmm. now because George is about to play Clemson. But Dabo's the kind of guy from a personality standpoint who I think is a little bit like Bobby Bowden. and yet, Probably the closest current iteration to him. And yet when Bowden was the age that Dabo is now, I'm guessing he either got no coverage or a lot more favorable coverage than what Dabo kind of gets. I think the media, by and large, is really cynical about people like Dabo Sweeney and just cynical about college football in general. The idea that the coaches are important figures, you know, fatherly or or statesmanly, whatever whatever the phrase you kind of want to use here. I think the media takes a really cynical view of what coaches really are. And I think it's hard to have another Bobby Bowden because the atmosphere that that created about and i think the college football media sphere because it's ultimately the media that kind of tells these stories i think the media is just so different now than it was then yeah and i would point out as well there have been coaches that have given us reason to to also say hey you know that's fair you know you think of joe paterno and what happened up there someone who was covered a lot like bobby bowden until we found out about jerry sandusky you think about guys like woody hayes a bo shembeckler with what's going on up there at michigan now so i i understand that and again you know as someone who is in the media trying to be a capital j journalist you know i understand that line of thinking and while in large i do believe you are correct you think of someone like dabo you know 
I don't think Dabo's going about doing things, you know, the way that Nick Saban is. You know, you hear about the recruiting stories. Hey, assistant coaches, last week of June, hey, take this week off. You know, it's more yeah. important for you guys to be your family. I, I know it's not the world we're ever going to get to live in again. It's not the world that Kirby Smart, who who coached and worked under Bobby Bowden briefly at Florida State for two years there, gets to live in, just given the pressure that exists around him. But I think the sport of college football has suffered a tremendous loss without a guy like Bobby Bowden and not having, you know, other than maybe Dabo, a coach like Bowden who can sort of fill that role of, you know, someone who says, hey, college football is important. Bobby Bowden understood that. Dabo Sweeney understands that. Yeah. But it's not the most important thing in life. And unfortunately, I I think it has become that for a lot of people. Connor, great stuff. Thanks for being here as part of our Kroger Fresh Take. We certainly appreciate that. We'll look forward to reading a lot more from you at dognation.com. Continued reaction to George practice. By the way, uh, also today, uh, pretty big news. Coaches poll comes out a little bit later on today, so we'll keep our eyes on that, see where George is ranked, and no doubt plenty of reaction from guys like Connor Riley at dognation.com on that too. Connor, thanks for being here. Yep, thanks for having me on, babe. Take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, so I think for those of you watching live right now, most of you are not. Most of you get the show after the fact. But I believe noon today, the uh, coaches poll comes out. So we've had a lot of unofficial polls coming out. But this is the official poll, uh, the first official uh, poll that comes out. We'll see where the dogs rank on that. And we will see how closely... You know, Georgia and Clemson are ranked, how high they're both ranked as you start talking about Georgia Clemson, that conversation with what Alabama and Florida State were a couple of years ago as really, you know, the the most hyped, most attention for a week one game in college football history. It's on the very short list of games that can have that be said about them and where the dogs and the tigers kind of land in this coaches poll today is another step there in that direction. As far as the rest of our SEC through goes here uh, for just a moment. Interesting news coming out of LSU. Another transfer portal name here. This time it's Eric Taylor, a four-star defensive lineman. I think class of uh, 2019 for uh, for uh, for Taylor. So, you know, he was looking to be really more part of Maybe it's 2020. But he was looking to be a part of the rotation there for LSU here this year. This is not a guy that's played a lot up until now, but is looking to kind of be a part of that rotation. Just seems like LSU deals with a lot of this kind of stuff. And, you know, you can't really control a lot of that. And certainly no one really knows. At least I don't know, you know, what has caused this to happen. But it just sort of seems like we're talking transfer portal a lot with LSU. It's one of the things I want to see from Ed Orgeron. I don't think there's any doubt that Orgeron is a pretty good coach. I think probably better than sometimes he's given credit for. But also probably better at one point in time than I thought he was. But stabilizing the program, you know, trying to re recapture some of what LSU seemed to have in 2019 after, for the most part, a pretty lost 2020 season, with the exception of the you know final game against Florida, when which LSU kind of got a fun win. But beyond that, it was for the most part a lost season for LSU a year ago. And stabilizing the program to say nothing of some of the off-field stuff that's happened around LSU. Stabilizing the program going to be a very important thing for Ed Orgeron moving on. There's an interesting situation unfolding in South Carolina right now, and obviously the Gamecocks are thought to be one of the worst teams in the SEC, but when this discussion came up on Cover 4 Live the other night, I think it was actually Connor who asked me about this, of, you know, where would I rank South Carolina at the bottom of the SEC? And what I said is, is I'd actually give the Gamecocks a chance to win some more games than certainly a team like Vanderbilt, who I do believe is the worst team in the SEC, and teams like Mississippi State and Tennessee, who I don't think are much better. And my reason for looking at that with South Carolina is on the basis of the fact that I think that South Carolina can do a couple of things that at least awful teams typically aren't able to do. Gamecocks have some depth of their defensive line right now. Think about guys like Zach Pickens and Jordan Birch and Rick Sandage, who's still there. You know, names that we have thought of as being on the radar for Georgia defensively, who are on recruiting, who are now at South Carolina. And, you know, Gamecocks should at least not be awful when it comes to the defensive line. The other thing that you kind of think of South Carolina as being able to do is run the football a little bit. Last year, Kevin Harris had a very good season. And at one point in time, you thought it was going to be kind of the Marshawn Lloyd show, with Lloyd being a pretty high-profile recruit stepping in as a freshman. But Lloyd dealt with an injury last year. But Harris really picked up the uh, the, the 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 pace during that season last year when Lloyd wasn't able to play. Well, now we may see a reversal of that. Marshawn Lloyd is now back fully healthy, and it seems like he's chomping the bit for his chance, obviously looking forward to, to getting back on the football field again. But now it's Kevin Harris who's coming off an injury. Uh, Harris had some... I guess back surgery. I certainly had back injury over the course of the offseason. I believe they had to have a surgical procedure to correct it. And he's still not cleared to perform yet for South Carolina. So one of the things that you're looking at is possibly more Marshawn Lloyd now while Harris is still on the mend. 
ultimately though if you're especially if you're a gambler and you care about this kind of stuff you know south carolina and its chances to pull upsets a lot of that really kind of based on the fact of do you have a harris and a lloyd do you have that one-two punch there at the running back spot but for now harris dealing with a little bit of an injury recovery situation not fully cleared as of yet I also want to talk about a little bit of uh, big talk coming out of South Carolina, excuse me, uh, out of the University of Florida just for a moment from a guy who has a tendency to run his mouth more than he should. That's Florida tight ends coach Tim Brewster Uh, being asked this week about, you know, having to replace Kyle Pitts, what happens there. Brewster actually says something kind of interesting. He says, I think we're going to be just fine. He says, I love the challenge. Okay, everybody says we're going to miss Kyle Pitts. Well, guess what? Keymore Gamble is going to be the best tight end in the SEC. You know what? You think about that. uh, What do you think about uh, Keon Zipperer? his contribution to our team so obviously talking about talking up some of these tight ends there when it comes to uh uh you know tim brewster and uh gamble in particular there and listen while i think that uh, that brewster's full of a lot of bluster i still think there's something you can take from this comment from from brewster there as well that what pitts did last year for florida was such an eye-opening performance that it is going to get a lot of attention i mean last year i mean listen i hate the gators but you got to give them credit when when Pitts was healthy and playing he did some really big things for Florida he became a first round pick and you know kind of became that archetype for tight ends who think of themselves as receivers and maybe as Eric Gilbert's trying to do actually moved the receiver position there's a chance that for the most part the Falcons actually use Pitts as a wide receiver in light of the fact that Julio Jones isn't there anymore and you know Hayden Hurst still is that they may think of Pitts now as a little bit of a wide receiver and you know Florida last season with Pitts kind of helps create that archetype it's also the kind of thing that you know uh, that Georgia wants to do, right? With whether it be Darnell Washington or Brock Bowers or John Fitzpatrick or whatever tight end you want to think about, Ryan Gody, whatever tight end you want to think about in that discussion, Georgia wants to build their own version of that too to get the attention of guys like Oscar Delp and 2022 recruits. And I mean, this is one of the arms races that exist in the SEC. There are always going to be a lot of these, you know, comparisons going on of. Which program's doing the best with its wide receivers? Which program's doing the best with its edge rushers? Which program's creating those kinds of opportunities? Tight ends become one of those type spots because of how popular tight end usage is for the smartest NFL teams. And last year, Pitts was such an eye-opening player, maybe as impressive a tight end performance as we've ever seen from the SEC. And so clearly, because he wore a Gators uniform, there's a little bit of a brand there now for Florida. And it's not a surprise that someone like Brewster is talking up the continuation of that legacy here in 2021. It's really the job for Georgia then to go out and create its own version of that. And the dogs won't be the only SEC team trying to stand on that corner that Florida occupied a year ago. But how it all plays out will certainly be very interesting to see. We'll make that your SEC through. So let me first of all say this. Uh, thanks to all of you. I know yesterday was a little bit of a weird show, but so many of you were very kind to reach out in honor of our 1500th show yesterday that's what it was episode number 1500 for the show so that was a really cool thing to be able to do yesterday so uh thanks so much for you uh doing that also for our golden shoe stuff this is really funny because i've gotten a couple of these lately about people saying i look like somebody else let me show you the first one on the screen here for a moment so steve Harmon sends in by the way look at this uh uh psa uh nine graded panini sam darnell rated rookie pretty nice value on that but Steve Harmon says on Twitter that I look like Sam Darnold. And I kind of give you a blow up of this of the picture so you can see that for yourself. Believe it or not, I've actually kind of heard this a little bit before. Now, Darnold's got a little bit more gruff than I do, but maybe a little bit on that. Also, another side-by-side comparison, Blake Wilson says, I can't be the only person who thinks that B.A. looks like former UGA quarterback David Green. He shows you the old school sporting news magazine with David Green there. Listen. If that's the case, I take that as a pretty big compliment. David Green's a handsome guy, you know, former uh, great George quarterback, friend of the program there as well. So I take that as a pretty big compliment from Blake. I'm not quite so sure that one's as true. But nonetheless, uh, a little uh, B.A. comparison there with a couple of quarterbacks. We'll give you both Golden Shoe Awards for that and remind you that Gatorade or Countdown, 81 days from now, dogs going to win against those lousy, stinking Gators and some revenge in the process. We'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia.